right, hello everybody. Um, I'm going to encourage you, feel free to come up front. Um, all This is the video games talk. So all the action is going to be on the screen. Um, I think the lights are good. We can see it. Uh, we can always turn the lights down more. I look better when the lights are down. Um, OK, we're going to stir up some controversy here today. Uh, we're also going to do a live colonoscopy on stage. There's going to be blood. Don't say I didn't warn you. Um, it'll be great. OK, so over the last three decades, the video games industry has rapidly evolved a toolbox of technologies, and we've been using them to create breathtaking environments, to create photorealistic characters. We've built these tools to tell stories. We've built them for entertainment. And these technologies are starting to have a major impact outside of games. It's changing the way people learn. It's changing the way companies interact with their customers. And we're creating new ways for people to collaborate remotely. These technologies are basically delivering on the promise of the metaverse. But the metaverse you read about in the news, that's a scam. I said it, it's a scam. It's a scam at worst, and at best, it's an ill-informed projection of where all of this video game technology is eventually going to take us. And this is the opinion of someone who has been building the underlying metaverse infrastructure and technology for the last two decades. In the news cycle, the real value of all this tech is being drowned out by the hot air. And I'll bet some of these news articles are probably already rubbing you the wrong way. This idea, like I'm going to put on a clunky VR headset, and I'm going to create a cheesy digital twin of myself, and I'm going to buy it a pair of virtual Nike shoes and fake pricey virtual real estate. Gosh, Mark Zuckerberg, where do I sign up? OK, there, I have yet to find the killer app here. Um, this is, is not the future of commerce. If you want, you can try it. It's pretty mediocre. You can, you know, it, it's kind of fun for an hour. This is not the thing that you're going to do for 10 hours a week for the rest of your life. You could admit that now, you know, the emperor has no clothes. Now, the, the metaverse bros will try to make you feel stupid. They'll go, hey, man, you just don't get it. Th this is web 3.0. You're stuck in web 2.0. I'm telling you, you get it. If it feels like a scam, it's probably a scam. And if the enduring user value isn't clear, it probably wasn't there to begin with. Um, that being said, like I said, the interesting and relevant applications of metaverse technology are precisely the applications that nobody's talking about. For example, in medicine, we've demonstrated time and time again that if applied deliberately, these underlying technologies like digital twins can be used to train doctors more effectively and at scale. In healthcare, when a surgeon, let's say, comes up with a better technique or a company releases a better medical device, a new treatment becomes available, a medical society comes up with, a, with new guidelines. It can be years until it's, it can be decades until it becomes the standard of care, until it becomes broadly adopted. And it's not because doctors are backwards, and it not, it's not because they're Luddites, it's because the tools that we've given them to train on these things hasn't really changed much in decades. And what we're seeing today is that by using the underlying metaverse technologies combined with the neuroscience and video game design, we can rapidly accelerate the adoption curve in healthcare. And this is what I talk about when I'm talking about medicine's metaverse. And from a business perspective, when you use these technologies, healthcare companies train and sell more effectively than through other mediums. And when they're smart about it, they're actually seeing predictable returns, like actual return on investment, from metaverse investments. And we'll walk through some real case studies. All right, so first, a little bit about me. Hey, I'm Sam Glassenberg. Um, I spent my career in the video games industry. I started out making Star Wars games at LucasArts. At Microsoft, my team's job was to predict and plan the next 10 years of video game graphics technology. And in the video games industry, we've been basically building the metaverse, or the building blocks of the metaverse, for the last 30 years. And creative visionaries have been using that technology to create robust, entertaining worlds that are captivating audiences in the millions. You can feel free to cheer for any games you've played, by the way. Um, so on the graphics side, we can see this exponential improvement that we've been able to achieve in video games over a relatively short time. So this is the best looking video game character we had 20 years ago when I joined Microsoft to lead the DirectX team. Looks human, but still very large triangles. Okay, so 
this was my job at Microsoft, to build the matrix, to, to, or if, you know, we're going to play buzzword bingo, build the metaverse. So the simplest way to describe DirectX, it's the paintbrush with which 3D games paint all of their pretty, paint all of their pixels. My team's job was to figure out how do we make this paintbrush more expressive? How do we understand what artists and what video game developers want to achieve visually in the next one year to 10 years and then make it happen on a global scale, whether it's in hardware or software? Hey, we want to be able to achieve more realistic clouds. We want to have more realistic, accurate shadows. We want to be able to have environments where you walk around and there's dense vegetation and forests. We want to be able to have more realistic skin that doesn't look like plastic anymore, but actually looks like real skin. One of the things I would do is I would bring um, like the top 80 video game developers from around the world together. We'd reserve in secret a resort in Western Washington, bring like, you know, all the top video game developers. We'd bring like Bay Rate, the guy who made Golem and Lord of the Rings. And in 2006, this was the best looking film character we had, it was CG, and we'd be like, all right, Bay, how'd you do it? You had two hours of frame. How are we going to be able to have characters that come to life like this when we need, when we need to generate 60 frames a second? And what are we going to need in terms of hardware and software to make that happen? So I joined Microsoft in 2001, and the last 20 years, we've come pretty far. This is screenshot from Call of Duty. You can buy it for $50, $60 with inflation. Um, and you zoom into the eye of one of a dozen soldiers on screen. This is what a video game character looks like in a modern video game. Okay. Now, the metaverse folks will tell you how exciting it will be to use this technology to create your avatar to buy shoes for. Look, Facebook has 300,000 people doing it. This is not interesting. Um, in medicine, we are using the same technologies to accelerate the adoption of new skills, techniques, guidelines, and treatments. Um, back in 2015, I actually started a company called Level X. We build medical video games on top of this technology. We have three million people, including over a million medical professionals who are playing these games, earning CME credit, continuing medical education credit toward renewing their medical licenses while they diagnose, treat virtual patients. So we take that video game skin technology, and we build on top of that you know, digital twin tech to create virtual skin that we can use to train doctors to recognize and treat skin diseases. None of the images I'm showing you here are real. These are all screenshots from our dermatology game. And with this kind of digital twin technology, we can actually reduce racial disparities in healthcare. It's a well-known problem that people of color do not get the same quality of care when they go to the dermatologist. Now, it's not out of malice. It's not because dermatologists are racist. It's they simply haven't seen enough examples of your skin disease at your severity on your skin tone to be able to effectively recognize and manage it. And the reference material does not help. This is Fitzpatrick's color atlas, the primary reference for skin disease. Notice any patterns? No, I mean, aside from the fact that it's gross. You notice any patterns? Okay. So to solve this problem, we built on top of video game digital twin technology that allows us to basically generate any skin disease on any part of the body, on skin of any color, and under any lighting environment. So none of these images are real. They're all computer generated. They're all real time in our game. Um, and what we're able to do is actually use video game technology not just to render the images, but to generate the content. So we create these mathematical procedural models of skin disease. And then video game artists can just jump in and modify the digital twin. They can tweak parameters. Oh, I want more scaliness, different shapes, different tones. And it generates a result that is accurate at any level of detail. This is what we're talking about when we talk about medicine's metaverse. This slide is too busy. Um, okay, so here's a study, one of many, that was published a few weeks ago that showed that this learning is far more effective at training doctors. This is actually nothing new. Um, for decades, studies have shown that interactive games are way more effective at training doctors than didactic learning, and it sticks. You can measure the improvements weeks later, not, and you can measure them beyond the game. You can actually measure that this changes and improves clinical behavior weeks and months uh, after they play. It's not just about improving your score in game, it's about seeing the result in real life. They actually improve their performance in the clinic and we'll explain the neuroscience behind this later. But what made this study unique is it focused on older doctors. Most prior studies, they like test video games on medical students and young doctors. Why? Medical students, I mean, they're, 
they're easy to recruit. They're hungry. You can get them to sign up for a study by feeding them pizza. But to, this study recruited older, experienced doctors, right? You want a doctor who's 50 years old, has been practicing for 20 years, sees 150 patients a week. It's harder to recruit them, but we were able to, we, but the study, they were able to recruit them and they showed no matter how old you are, these video games are just as effective. And what's more interesting is the busier the doctors are, the more they enjoy learning through video games. If they see more than 150 patients a week, they actually appreciate it more because they can just jump in, learn, earn CME credit, and jump out. So I'm showing you all these gorgeous rendered images, but these are just images. Um, what I wanna show you next is these aren't just images. These are actually totally interactive virtual patients that you can perform surgery on. Okay, for this one, I need a volunteer, but maybe two volunteers, but okay. You, and I get one more. Okay, um, you got phones? Okay, great. I'm gonna put up a QR code. I want everyone else to behave themselves. Do not snap the QR code. If you do, we won't be able to have more demos. Don't worry, you'll all have a QR code. You can all play at the end. Okay, so the two of you, what I want you to do is I'm gonna go and, so go and snap that QR code and I will meet you there. Oops, sorry, I'll put it up real quick. One second, let's do this guy. Oh, I can't see the top of my screen. Okay, great. So I will send just the two of you. I want, oh, one of you already made it in. All right, great. So who's in already? You're in. All right, so go ahead and snap it. Perfect. Okay. Good. All right, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna just get, all right. Well, 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 we'll start with you. You've got to run. You see the knee on your phone? Okay, perfect. All right, show everyone your phone. Everyone see the knee. All right, great. So everything that I'm doing here on my laptop is streaming live to your phone. I can place the retractors. I can open up the patient here on the left. Here I can actually control the elasticity of the tissue, how much it bounces back. I'll open up the patient on the left. You open up the patient on the right. All right. I will bend the knee into position. Uh, I'll place the cut guide. Uh, you can insert it to depth. It'll stop at the femur head. And you play a surgeon in video games. Okay, so let's talk about what's happening here. What phone are you, Android, iOS, what phone are you using? iPhone, great, we don't care. It runs on any, it's video game technology. This is cloud gaming technology. The same technology that's being used in Project X Cloud and PlayStation Now, only we're unleashing it on unsuspecting doctors in healthcare. So here, I'm just actually running this in my web browser. So what this means is now you can enter a 3D virtual environment, you and I doing surgery together. Did you have to install an app or download anything? No, it's just like watching a video. You snap it, you're in, and we're doing surgery. Uh, let's jump out of this real quick. Uh, let's do this guy, eh, this one. Um, we're actually doing surgery on a virtual patient simulated in the cloud. Um, and here, for example, I'll show this later, but basically it's not just about what's the sequence of doing things, it's, help you, it's helping you develop mental models for complex systems. So this little mini game here is designed for spine surgeons. And what this does is this allows you to develop an understanding of something that usually spine surgeons only really understand after they've done a few hundred cases, which is this idea that you, know, you place this tracker on the spine to make sure that what you're doing matches what you're doing on the x-ray, but as you move the spine and the order in which you use your tools and the sequence in which you place tools on the vertebrae actually has impact on how much it displaces and how much accuracy you lose as you go. So there's a certain technique you wanna use, you wanna be deliberate about the order in which you do things, and we can help doctors understand that by literally doing it on a virtual patient instead of learning it through trial and error on live human beings. Um, okay. So here we're doing this in person in the same room, but actually, like I said, that patient's in the cloud. So really what this is used for is since 2020, we've had hundreds of thousands of trainers and sales reps from medical device companies who used to go hospital to hospital to educate doctors, and then they were stuck at home trying to train doctors you know, over Zoom with PowerPoint. I don't think you want your surgeon to be trained that way. Um, so now they can just hop on, they can just share a QR code and over Zoom or MS Teams, they're doing surgery together on a virtual patient simulated in the cloud. And you can also, because it's all web-based, you can actually just embed this in an email if you want to or put it on a, on a microsite. We'll, we'll talk about what the implications of that are a little bit later. Uh, so first I'll show you a few more examples of digital twins in medicine's metaverse. Uh, let's see, where should we begin? So these demos I'm just gonna do off my phone, ignore any text messages that I get while I'm demoing. Um, okay, I promised a colonoscopy. So, all right, uh, these games that I'm showing you here, you can just download for free in the App Store. Um, uh, I'll start with GastroX, because I promised. 
all of these are digital twins. So these are real cases that doctors around the world encountered in the operating room, and now we are going to try our hand at them. Um, so here, like, I'm just doing this here on my phone. Uh, but this is not a, just like a 3D model or like a 3D world. This is a totally interactive virtual patient. What do I mean by that? He's squishy. The tissue moves. I can grab anything anywhere. It behaves just like it does in real life. You know when you hold your hand up to a flashlight? Subsurface scattering. It's, oh, whoops. Um, okay. So here, this is a routine polypectomy. So we're trying to train the gastroenterologist how to find the polyps that hide behind folds. So you gotta use different tools to move it around. Here I've got one, I can kind of see it, it's out in the open. So I'll grab it with my forceps. But what I don't realize is this is a rare complication where the polyp embeds on a blood vessel. So now I've triggered a bleed a meter inside the body. So here, 3D computational fluid dynamics running on a cell phone, you know, that thing that drops your calls all the time. Uh, I can spray water, I can try to stop the bleed, but all that does is dilute the blood. All right, so we'll do audience choice. Um, argon plasma or epinephrine? Epinephrine. Epinephrine, all right. I can tell there's pharma folks in the audience. They always go for epinephrine. All right, we'll take our endoscopic syringe, inject some epinephrine. All right, good job. Objective achieved, bleeding stopped. Okay, now I have this nasty mess of blood and water. I can suction it up, find more polyps, or I can just cauterize anywhere because it's a totally interactive virtual patient and digital twin and Hippocratic Oath doesn't apply until eventually you fail again. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, what else should we show here? All right, let's do, how are we doing for time? Um, well, here, let's do another digital twin. This is in cardiology. So here, this game is played entirely under fluoroscopy. So this is, these are all real patient cases, but now this is a puzzle racing game that's played entirely under x-ray. Now, I'm trying to basically do surgery right now inside a live beating human heart. Uh, I need to inject the radiopaque contrast agent to see where I'm going. And then the whole idea of this game is I've got to place the right tools in the right configuration, in the right sequence, in order to restore blood flow to a live beating human heart. If, let's say, I place a covered stent at a junction and I inflate my balloon, boom, I just block blood flow to a side branch. There's actually amazing audio here. I'm just not hooked up to the audio. <laughs> um, and now, for example, inside this game, right, so we talk about, you know, how it's not, you know, it's great for training, but it's also useful. We have content here from Amgen, from Philips, from J&J, &J, from Novartis, where we can learn and try out new devices on digital we can try out digital twins of devices and treatments on virtual patients. Uh, so here, for example, I can do the exact same case, only now um, I have unlocked Philips's intravascular ultrasound catheter. So now I can scan backwards, and I can see, all right, this is what the lesion looks like under x-ray, but now I can see it under ultrasound. And this is their interface. I can learn how to properly place a stent. And I can understand the benefits of using the device because, for example, here, can't really see it that well, but there's a thrombus. This is like a little bit, this, this could embolize, like if I hit this, there's a little piece of scar tissue that could embolize and go up to the patient's brain and cause a stroke. I wouldn't have seen that under x-ray, but I can see it under IVUS. So now I know to be ready for it. So when I place my stent, I want to quickly inflate it so I can crush it against the side of the heart. Um, now, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but now I can... Scan again, just so you can see, this is not like some pre-rendered, baked something. This is a totally interactive virtual patient. I can see how well my stent is, has adhered. You can even see that metal and that metal stent actually casts a, a shadow because sound casts a shadow. Um, but in addition, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, um, there's also content here, for example, here I can, uh, actually, let me jump out of the COVID levels. Um, here I can play through uh, content where that is, there is no 3D, right? Here I'm learning about how to manage a patient with heart failure. This is not a first-person shooter game. This is a strategy game where over a period of 20 weeks, I'm, I've got to order the right tests, I've got to ask the right questions, I've got to do the right dosing, I've got to prescribe the right treatments in order to achieve the best outcome, and I'm scored based on my adherence 
to the new GDMT guidelines. And so what we're able to do is these guidelines that doctors, you know, that medical societies disseminate, they can take a decade for doctors to actually start using them because it takes a while for them to understand. Here I can literally play through three or four patient cases, try different combinations, and understand the trade-offs of either following the guidelines or not. Um, let's do one more. Well, not if it's going to be upside down. Can I switch it? All right, well, we'll do this one later. Um, mm -hmm. We'll do. This is, I have a death wish. I always do live demos in case you can't tell, including with people in the audience whose phones I've never touched before, um, just in case, just in case. All right, so let's switch back. Great, okay. Um, so we're doing this now with, you know, as of February 2023, there's now 20 out of the top 40 med device and life science companies that are using this metaverse technology to accelerate the adoption of their products in healthcare to help doctors understand the benefits of a product, when you want to use it, and how to properly use it. And when companies make these deliberate investments in solutions to solve specific problems, they actually see measurable return on their investment at scale. So this case study is actually from a radiation oncology device. Selling this device had always been difficult because it's hard to demo a product when you can't physically be in the room with it when it's running because there's a linear accelerator in the room. COVID, of course, basically made this problem, recreated this problem for everybody because a co no company could even get their sales reps into the hospital. So they're trying to train their doctors on Zoom. Woohoo! So we armed half their team with these digital twin experiences where they could hop on Zoom or MS Teams with a doctor and they could enter the virtual linear accelerator room together. They could use the virtual device and visualize all sorts of things you actually can't see in the real room, like radiation and x-rays. Um, and so the result of this A-B test, we took half the team used it, half the sales team didn't, and the half the team that used it saw a massive increase in sales and conversions, even beyond what they were able to achieve in person because doctors were able to intuitively understand the benefits of the device and build confidence in how to use it. And we've been recreating this study over and over again on different devices in different specialties and different therapeutics. So the examples I've been showing you up till now have all involved let's say two to four people interacting in, no, no, okay, thank you PowerPoint, let's go back, great, here we go, no, there we go. Thanks, guys. Uh, all right, so all the, like this demo I showed, it was three of us basically interacting with a virtual patient. But in games, we've supported tens of people, sometimes hundreds of people, playing competitively and collaboratively in the same virtual space. We've been doing this for decades. Now, using this technology to hang out with 100 people in a metaverse rave, arguably kind of lame. <laughs> How about having 50, 100, 400 doctors, nurses, collaborating and competing virtually in person or, you know, or virtually in person both to diagnose and treat virtual patients that are simulated in the cloud, all playing in the same virtual environment. Just like basically we, we do this all the time. Speaker gets up, presents a virtual patient case, everyone in the audience snaps the QR code and they're each playing on their own. The race is on to answer questions, order the right tests, diagnose the virtual patient. So 400 doctors all competing and collaborating to diagnose a virtual patient simulated in the cloud. If that isn't medicine's metaverse, I don't know what is. So we're supporting this metaverse technology, supporting events like this all the time in all sorts of different specialties. Uh, one of these photos is from a dermatology conference. Uh, this is from a cardiology event. All, all like we're doing these multiple times a week now. Um, either in person, remote, anything from like small 10 person lunch and learns up to 400 person, you know, what they call product theaters. And what we're able to do is we're able to actually, so we're able to measure a lot of things. Um, we've had thousands of doctors participate by now, so we have a pretty good N. Uh, first off, they love it, obviously. These events get higher net promoter scores than Netflix. 
So we're talking like a pharma-sponsored pharma product theater, which you'd imagine could be sometimes kind of boring. But here we're able to, like literally the doctors are enjoying playing more than they're enjoying watching most Netflix shows. Um, and the companies that are actually making these investments are seeing ROIs anywhere from 8x to 12x so they can actually measure. And how? How do we do this? How do we entertain doctors better than Netflix while generating positive ROI on marketing? And all this metaverse technology, that's actually only part of the puzzle. And this is where the video, real sort of video game secrets come in. All the cool technology is kind of a distraction. All of it is in service of a completely different discipline. The engineers working on video games are all working for somebody else, and that is game design. Over the last 30 years, the video games industry has developed this incredibly deep discipline, and we've been testing it on three billion unwitting test subjects. We have figured out the neurochemical recipe for driving learning, engagement, and behavior change among any audience, and it works at scale. Expert game designers know how to hit the perfect balance between reward and frustration, between challenge and skill, to maximize dopamine release and endorphin release in the brain at the right time to maximize learning and maximize behavior change. Who here has played Angry Birds? Okay, whoever, who hasn't played Angry Birds? I'm not gonna out you, just play Angry Birds, that's your homework, just download it now. <laughs> who comes to the metaverse talking and play Angry Birds? Okay, have you ever wondered why this game is so addictive? Like literally there were people playing this game in front of me on the airplane last night. This game has been out for 10 years, why? I want you to think back to the first time you played Angry Birds, what happened? It's a physics puzzle. It helps your brain develop a mental model for parabolic flight. Angry Bird hopped in the slingshot. You aimed at the Tower of Pigs, you fired. And what happened the first time? You missed. And the pigs laughed at you. Why? Made you frustrated. Second bird hops in, you aim better, you fire, you get closer to the tower, but you still miss. And you get more frustrated. Third bird hops in, you aim like a champion, you fire, and it's glorious. There's explosions, animations, pigs go flying everywhere, the music changes. All of this was deliberately designed to trigger a dopamine release in your brain that physically reinforced those neural pathways that you used on the last successful fire. This is why two hours later you're firing that bird between two narrow obstacles at 50 yards, and why 60 hours later you're still having fun playing the game. Now, we didn't invent this neuromechanic in the video games business. It's existed in the mammalian neuron for tens of millions of years. This is precisely how our ancestors learned how to throw a spear. Miss, miss, frustration, hit. Okay, whatever the neural connections are we used on the last fire, make those thicker, we want to use those again. And so this is just one of a thousand tools in a game developer's toolbox that we can use to drive learning, change habit, improve skills. And in medicine, we can unleash these same mechanics on doctors, and they're incredibly effective. So when we think about, let's say, diagnosing a rare disease, that's a puzzle game, a reductive reasoning puzzle game. So we have a diagnosis game mechanic. We've deployed this in five different therapeutic areas. It's been played by hundreds of thousands of medical professionals. It doesn't reward you for guessing the right answer. It forces you to order the right tests, ask the right questions in the optimal sequence to not only get to the right answer, but eliminate, in this case, the other 18 differentials. Now, what we're able to do is we're able to activate brain regions that actually trigger recency bias. A doctor is a lot more likely to diagnose a rare disease that she's seen recently, and we're able to trigger that recency bias on a virtual patient, on a digital twin. We already walked through some examples of this, but like managing a difficult patient over time with multiple comorbidities, complex side effects of different treatments, this is a strategy game. We use digital twins all the time to train doctors' brains how to diagnose on virtual patients, not just based on looking at their skin, but even looking at their facial movements, looking at their gait. Sometimes getting to the right diagnosis involves asking the right questions in the right order. Sometimes it isn't visual at all. Sometimes you're literally just looking at test results and that's informing, that's informing the puzzle. Um, clinicians also need to understand how a treatment works before they prescribe it. 
For this, we create collaborative virtual environments where multiple users can literally jump in and pour hundreds of thousands of virtual molecules into a digital twin of a patient, developing a mental model of complex neurochemical cascades. Uh, if we have time, we'll do a live demo at the end. Otherwise, I'll include a link. You can just try this out. We're literally, you'll just play on your phone. Just Bob Ross it. It's very, they call it ASMR, and you just paint, paint, paint molecules. But as you play, unlike a video that you can just watch and then forget, you can't progress in these games unless you've actually demonstrated that you understand the material. So a pattern here that you're seeing, I started out with a lot of 3D stuff, the knee, the colon, and then the last few examples I've showed you haven't been in 3D. Um, so some of these examples, we're using a 3D patient to diagnose skin diseases, but a lot of times what we're doing is purely two-dimensional. Wait a minute. I thought Web 3.0 was supposed to be 3D. Right, this idea that we're gonna, the new internet is gonna be re-envisioned as a 3D virtual world that I walk around with my avatar and my headset. I'm gonna, you know, this is how I'm gonna experience email. This is how I'm gonna experience eBay, Twitter. Okay, that is all bogus. Video games are the poster child for 3D. I personally have been pushing 3D my entire career. And here is the secret that we have known in video games for a very, very long time. 3D is not appropriate for everything. Our brains prefer two-dimensional data for a broad set of activities. Reading, for example, will always be better in 2D. Think about solitaire. When you want to play solitaire, game companies don't make you navigate your 3D avatar around a 3D casino to pick up 3D cards on a table. We could. We have the technology to do it, but we don't. Why? Because it sucks. It's a terrible user experience. We play solitaire in 2D. Why? Because it's more fun that way. Even heavy 3D games like World of Warcraft, any major interface that involves any complexity in World of Warcraft, you're playing it in two dimensions. So the same goes for healthcare. You don't want to force the learner to navigate around a 3D hospital bed trying to position themselves correctly relative to the virtual patient to have a conversation. Not just because it's annoying, it's actually less effective. It increases what we call cognitive load. Your brain ends up spending more time learning how to actually use the interface instead of the thing you're actually trying to teach them. And so it's really important when we talk about metaverse to focus on creating experiences, experiences with narratives, with goals, not virtual worlds for the sake of creating virtual worlds. You just want to deal me in. I just want to diagnose the virtual patient. Don't make me walk around a digital hospital unless there's a good reason to do it. So this idea like the future of web is 3D, no. If I, okay, if I had to actually wager about what web 3.0 is, if there is such a thing, I would say that the web 2 to 3 transition looks a lot more like the web 1 to 2 transition. What do I mean? Well, when we accessed web 2.0, it was pretty much in the same browser and devices that we did Web 1.0, it was just doing a better job of connecting you to your friends. And sometimes it was synchronous, sometimes it was asynchronous. And I feel like Web 3.0 is going to be a similar transition. Sure, there'll be some activities that are a lot of fun with a VR headset. We make a lot of them. But a lot of it is going to be accessed in the same web browser over the same Zoom meeting right, and video conferencing platforms that we have today. So what's different is that we will have embedded rich real-time content, some of it 3D, some of it AI-generated, computed in the cloud, just like you saw here, and embedded into websites and apps, where today the only thing we can really embed is video. So what's Web 3.0? We just kind of did it. OK, so we have all these amazing headset technologies. What about those? What about AR and VR? And just like any technology in medicine's metaverse, its content needs to have a purpose. So. AR and VR is an incredibly powerful tool when your goal requires the user to develop a reference in 3D space. So for example, that example we were doing with the spine earlier, there's a, we have a VR version of that. We also have an AR version of that. This is the beauty of video game technology. The running joke with video games is if they made a toaster oven with a screen and two buttons on it, we would make games for it. So video game technology allows us to bring these metaverse experiences to really any device. It doesn't have to be a VR headset. But the, one of the advantages, so 3D is helpful if you're trying to get a real sense of, let's say, your position relative to a patient to perform CPR or intubation. And from a business standpoint, they can actually draw a real crowd. We've actually measured this. 
Um, we, built, we work with a lot of customers that have, uh, and partners that have uh, booth, conference booth experiences. We've actually gotten lucky a few times. We've had like big med device and pharma companies that have the same booth location year over year at the same conference. And so we're able to measure the lift. And so we're able to see that not only, yeah, we can triple audience because it's awesome, um, and we can increase the amount of time in booth, but we're actually able to increase things like opt-in for follow-up and conversion rates because doctors, if you build a good experience, doctors can actually understand better the benefits of the product. And this multiplies the ROI on the overall conference investment. The reality, though, is when you're taking a dependency on hardware, like a headset, you're drastically reducing reach. And again, this is something we've measured. So like I said, we have a million medical professionals that are playing our games on mobile. Uh, we've launched AR mobile content. If we can get the HDMI thing, I'll maybe do it upside down. Um, where you can basically place a virtual patient on a table. And you can do it AR using your phone. We've had 70,000 clinicians uh, use that content and enter, sort of project that metaverse into their room. We've brought 7,000 clinicians through headset experiences. This is still a lot. 7,000 medical professionals, but it's still two orders of magnitude less than the number that have accessed these 3D experiences on their phones. So AR and VR can provide a lot of value, and like I said, I have a horse in this race, but you need to be extremely deliberate about it. There's some incredibly valuable technology in medicine's metaverse, but that you can actually benefit from, as we see, before you strap a brick to your head. But if you're gonna strap that brick to your head, make sure you're being smart about it. So, uh, for example, for decades in healthcare, we've had what are called mechanism of action videos, animations. These are animated explainers that explain how these complex treatments work at the molecular or cellular level. Uh, they're getting like, they're getting like, there's an arms race going on, they're getting like Pixar quality. It's crazy. The problem is doctors don't actually have a lot of time to watch these. So usually out of a four minute video, on average, they'll watch maybe 10 to 20 seconds. After 30 seconds, they'll tune out. So the solution the industry embraced was VR. And they did it very, very badly. So that animation where you're flying around the cell, right now we're gonna force you to watch it. We're gonna make a VR version and we're gonna sit you down in this egg chair and we're gonna strap this to your head and we're gonna fly you around the molecule. Okay, uh, how many, you know why you get seasick on a boat? It's because you feel the boat moving, but you're inside a room and the room isn't moving. And your vestibular system goes out of whack with your visual system and it triggers nausea. Uh, you can achieve the same effect very easily with a VR headset by flying someone around a molecule when they're not physically moving. And this is the opposite of what you're trying to achieve. The last thing you want is to associate your brand with nausea unless you happen to have a drug that is indicated for nausea. This is why we can't have nice things. All right, so if I'm skeptical of all this like metaverse hype, why do I use the term medicine's metaverse? And also, how does a video game developer get involved in building medical games on all this metaverse technology? Okay, uh, so fate, it seems, is not without a sense of irony. Uh, my grandfather, Dr. Samuel Vaisrub, was a world-renowned physician. He was actually the senior editor at the Journal of the American Medical Association. And in 1977, shortly before he died, he wrote a book called Medicine's Metaphors, which talk about how ideas flow from other disciplines into medicine and beyond. So I kind of think the idea of his son, grandson talking about Medicine's Metaverse kind of feels like a little bit of a continuation of the family tradition 50 years later. And if it wasn't for him, I never would have gotten into this business in the first place because he is not the only member of my family that is a doctor. I am in fact the disgrace of my entire family because I come from a long line of doctors and I'm the idiot who didn't go to medical school. My father, my mom, my uncles and aunts, everybody. To give you a sense of how much of a disappointment I was, in 2006, I accepted a technical Emmy on behalf of my team at Microsoft for pushing the cutting edge of video game graphics. That's me, I was a lot younger, that's Jensen Wang. This is, it's not the Emmys they show on TV, it's the technical Emmys, but it's the same statue. And so I call my parents and be like, hey, I'm accepting an Emmy. My dad's an anesthesiologist, picks up the phone, without skipping a beat, total deadpan. Sam, that's very nice, but in this family, we only recognize Nobel Prizes. <laughs> he goes, you're not yet 30 years old, you can still go to medical school, I'll pay for it. <laughs> this is the world that I come from. So back in 2012, my dad gives up. 
And he says, all right, Sam, you're too old to go to medical school. At least put all this gaming nonsense to good use. Make me a game to train my colleagues to do a fiber optic intubation. It's a tricky procedure. Even experienced anesthesiologists struggle with it if they haven't done enough cases. It's very visual. He goes, I don't want to drag anybody to a training center. Can you make me a game they can play on their phones? Now, at the time, I was busy running one of the biggest video game companies in Hollywood. But sure, Dad. So out of guilt, I sat down for three weekends, and I threw together this crappy little game that I uploaded to the App Store. Here's the link, Dad. You, your friends can download it. Leave me alone. I put in like iTunes at glassenberg.com as the email address. I never checked it. Okay. Two years later, he calls me. He goes, hey, Sam, how many people downloaded it? I go, Dad, I don't know how many of your friends downloaded your game, but I'll check for you. I went and I looked, and we had 100,000 doctors, nurses, and airway specialists who've been playing it. I had by accident created like one of the most popular medical training tools ever. How does this happen? I don't know. So I Google it. I larynx. And I discover they've been doing efficacy studies at medical schools all over the world that shows it's drastically improving physician performance. <laughs> I would love to say that this was all some grand idea I had, but it was really all by accident and a lot of parental guilt. Okay. So this was the motivation for actually starting Level X. Right? So what if it wasn't just me in my weekend? But what if we took literally the top video game designers and artists, the folks who worked on everything from Mortal Kombat to Diner Dash, and we team them up with hundreds of physician advisors across every major specialty to capture the challenges of the practice of medicine, right? to create medicine's metaverse, to use video game technology and video game design to accelerate the adoption curve of new techniques and treatments. Um, so now we're over 130 people, again, using this underlying metaverse technology combined with the neuroscience of games to advance the practice of medicine. We're doing it here on Earth, and we're also doing it in space, which is one of the most intriguing applications of digital twins in healthcare, and one that we're already starting to benefit from here on Earth. Uh, okay, so at Level X, we've been working with uh, NASA's Translational Research Institute for Space Health to adapt these digital twin technologies to help astronauts deal with medical emergencies in space. Scenario, you're nine months into the Mars mission. Uh, one of the astronauts grabs his chest and rolls over unconscious in zero gravity. It's gonna be the flight surgeon. It's always the flight surgeon. You've seen movies. Okay, what are we gonna do? So, problem. First, you're on the spacecraft, which means you're in a resource-constrained environment. There's no x-ray, there's no CT scan, not because we don't have the money for it, they're too heavy. The only imaging modality we have is ultrasound because that's lightweight, and if anyone's ever looked at an ultrasound image, it leaves much to be desired. Next, there's no precedent. Did you know your heart physically changes shape in microgravity? It becomes more spherical. Your, your blood flow changes direction. How do I know that the heart I'm looking at right now is normal for someone who's been in space for nine months or abnormal? Yeah, there are a lot of interesting digital twin problems here. Um, next, there are no experts. So today, on the ground in Houston, there's a radiologist, that's him actually, Dr. Rashot, so I guess, and he's a flight surgeon. This is him meeting some of our team. Um, he basically will sit there in Houston, and they have an ultrasound rig up on the ISS, and he will, in real time, he'll give them basically the astronauts 45 minutes of ultrasound training, send them up, and then he'll just direct them. All right, give me a little bit to the left, push in, and he's reading it in real time. The problem is, if you're nine months into the Mars mission, it can be 40 minutes for the speed of light to make that round trip. So an ultrasound exam takes nine hours. You need people to be completely independent. And there's no time to train. We had a year to train for an eight-day Apollo mission. The Mars mission is going to be two years. There's a lot of things they haven't figured out yet. One of the things that's already booked completely is astronaut training. We don't have time to give everybody a medical degree in space health. You're going to have to learn it just in time as you go. Uh, so. How can we create a digital twin of an astronaut using MRI and CT scans that we take on Earth before they go up, before she goes up, and recreate what that astronaut will look like under ultrasound one month, six months, and nine months later? So we're starting with segmentation technology from our parent company, BrainLab. They create all the cool technology that's used uh, by neurosurgeons to plan and navigate their surgeries, like digital twins for the actual operating room. And our biomedical engineers work with NASA to basically create a system so we can take a volumetric data set of any part of the body and create realistic ultrasound images 
really in real time. I'm just totally overloading the whole thing. All right, we'll keep going. What's ironic is the like virtual surgery over the cloud worked fine. It's PowerPoint that's really like biting the dust. <laughs> Uh, all right, this is especially tricky because ultrasound physics all goes by a totally different set of rules. Like we can make a metaverse that looks realistic under visible light, but making a metaverse that works realistically under ultrasound is actually super tricky. So we saw earlier sound casts a shadow. You ever want to know what an echo, like an echo, like a sound echo looks like? It looks like an object that isn't actually there. And so we actually, thanks to a grant from the NASA Mars mission, we were able to build the most realistic ultrasound simulator that can run on digital twins. Um, and based on the success of that project, we're now actually, we've just announced, we were selected for the upcoming Polaris Dawn mission, where we're actually using our technology to build targeted ultrasound training for commercial astronauts. So we're saying, hey, we need astronauts to be able to train just in time. Right? Oh crap, something's happening. We're six months of the Mars mission, higher risk of let's say kidney stones. Quick, we gotta train how to detect kidney stones with ultrasound. So now we're gonna actually test the efficacy of just-in-time training because they're going up there with a bunch of digital twin content running on all this technology where they're going to train how to do a certain diagnostic procedure and then they're gonna do the procedure in microgravity. Uh, how are we doing for time? Oh, we're good. Um, Okay, so I'm gonna talk a little bit more here. So the, um, there should really be no ambiguity, I think, about the value that's being created here, right? I think we hear a lot of metaverse pitches that are based on this idea that if you build a metaverse, the value will emerge somehow. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna tighten our cables. Um, oh, let's see here. Maybe I'll just switch to demos on the phone. Um, this idea, hello, new slideshow. <laughs> Where was I? Okay, so this idea that, we'll give it one more try and then I'm gonna just move, we'll move to questions. Um, so here the idea is, here the, the need is clear and the value is clear. Things like closing racial disparities in healthcare, addressing medical emergencies in space, and um, well, let's show this. Let's walk through these examples. So, you know, one of, the, one of the challenges that we have in medicine is that there's actually a huge gap between the state of the art in medical training and the state of the art in video games. And so that's one of the applications. All right. What I'm going to do now, how are we doing for time? We've got about 10 minutes. All right. So, what I'm going to do is we'll tell the pig in the box story later. Um, no. There we go. Great. Okay. So what I want to do is sort of end on, on kind of like a summary note, right? This is, these are the techniques that we're using. We're able, to, we have, we're able to demonstrate real tangible value here for patients and for doctors. And this is how we accelerate the adoption curve of new therapies, guidelines, and devices, and skills at scale. This is what we're talking about when we talk about medicine's metaverse. The need for this is great, and there's an endless array of problems to solve. We are literally just scratching the surface. So if any of you are thinking of, you know, of getting into this field or looking for applications of the technology, there is no shortage of problems to solve and there is no shortage of exciting technology to bring over from the video games industry to apply in healthcare. And I fundamentally believe that the lessons we're learning from applying this metaverse technology in healthcare are applicable in many, many other disciplines where people need to develop a mental model of a complex system. So as long as PowerPoint will let me, I got it, we're gonna have QR code fest over here. Um, uh, feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. That's the QR code on the right. I've also included two up here that you can snap. It'll ask you for your email. You can opt out of emails if you want. And then you can jump in either the surgery demo uh, or the biochemistry demo that I just, PowerPoint, come on, you got this, um, that I just showed. So snap them quick. Before, before PowerPoint gives up. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so this one you can play, you can just go uh, do the tutorial. And then what's cool is once you snap it and it gives you a link and you're actually in it, you can take that link that it gives you and you can share it with the person next to you or with a friend and the two of you will be interacting with the same virtual patient together. Um, 
So we got about 10 minutes. Happy to answer any questions. I also love to answer questions with demos. So thank you very much. Hi, that was, that was a great talk. Um, I, I have a question about, first off, I, my son 25 years ago had a, a, a patch of skin that was discolored and it was scleroderma. And if it Ooh. was, this technology is available, he probably wouldn't have the disfigurement he has right now on his uh, left side. So this is really good stuff. Um, having said that, um, also, it was also discovered because somebody had the foresight to check the leg length and actually- Sorry to check what? Leg length to see oh, yeah. the problem. So, and it brings me up to the second point, or that was a statement, but I worked in aerospace and flight simulators, and there's a lot of hepatic feedback and, and motion. Oh, haptic feedback. Haptic feedback, thank you. Yep. And it's, it's one thing to have this 2D, and it's great, and it's a good thing to have, but I wouldn't want somebody with a Microsoft flight simulator to fly a plane. I want them to be in those sim the real simulators, which is why that saves, them lo saves lives if they're in those simulators. And so what's the stepping off point where they say, okay, I'm playing this fun game, but then I have to do the real thing. When I'm having somebody guide something through to my heart, I want them to have the feel for that. Great. Oh, sorry. So great question. So, all right. So a few different things here on haptics. Um, so actually, well, I have slides for it. We'll see if they, we'll see if they go. All right. Um, so yeah, I mean, we get this question a lot, like this fear of behavior of, of, of uh, so first, the first thing to keep in mind is, well, I'll tell you a second. So, Embracing this paradigm of behavior change with a touch screen. They have this fear that like, it's, there's going to be some gap. And that fear leads to anger. And that anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. And fear is the path of the? The dark side. The dark side. The dark side. Uh, which is, there is no force feedback. This is not my physical lightsaber. OK. Um, so first off, the important thing to remember is this does not replace the physical device for training. Right? Like, there, Cadaver labs are great for that, right? You want to know what it's like to drill inside a bone? Don't use a touchscreen. Drill inside a bone. There is no haptic device that will do that. So this is not designed to replace training on cadavers and other things, but it can augment that. There are a bunch of benefits you get from touchscreen-based training. One, you can try new approaches in a risk-free environment. And the example you used of Microsoft Flight Simulator, right, is we talked about cognitive load earlier. So when we're training pilots, we don't train them how to use all the dials uh, in the cockpit at the same time we train them advanced maneuvers. Right? We separate those two because we're optimizing cognitive load. For this, you want to train in a cockpit. For this, use Microsoft Flight Simulator. Same thing with healthcare. The cadaver is great for the bone, but the cadaver doesn't bleed. It doesn't present rare scenarios. For that, we use the touchscreen. And so the same works in healthcare. You want to learn how to navigate that crazy colonoscope with its eight dials? Use the physical device. Great. You want to learn how to deal with a Delafoy lesion? That's what a touchscreen is great at. Um, so do we support force feedback with these games? Yes, we do. You can do it. Most of the time, it's actually not worth it. Because like, I mean, physically, like when you're doing orthopedic surgery, you're experiencing 60 newtons of force. These haptic devices, and I've been doing haptic, I built a haptic epidural placement simulator in the 2003 at Stanford. Like, we've been doing this for a while. They're just not that good. It's not as good as physically using a bone or a piece of wood or a piece of plastic. Great, great, fantastic talk. Um, I, I sometimes relate metaverse to digital twins and my friends look at me like I'm crazy. But you did it in here and I wanna make sure I understand the distinction. To me, it's always been metaverse is different from cyberspace because it has a spatial component Digital twin is a physically realistic 3D representation of something so spatial. Is is that the definition you're using, or can you provide the definition how you distinguish between digital twin and metaverse? Oh, digital twin and metaverse. Okay. So first, I'm I'm allergic to buzzwords, so the conversation is making me itch a little bit. The the look, I mean, let's be honest. Like we're using the term metaverse because it is a hyped up term. What does it actually mean? It means something different to everybody. What I was trying to do with this talk was at least say, look, what are the goals of the metaverse, right? This idea that we're gonna change the way commerce is done, change the way people learn, change the way people connect and interact with each other, change the way, like, 
That's what the metaverse is seeking to do. And so I'm saying, here are examples of how we're actually doing it using the underlying technology. When we're talking about digital twin, that is a little bit more concrete. So the idea of digital twin, at least in healthcare, is this idea that there's you, the physical you, and then there's the digital version of you, which is scans of your body, which is your test results, which is your genomic data, which is all of this. And that digital twin of you actually the more data we collect and the more we can analyze and work with it, the more interesting things we can do. We can, um, for example, predict the outcome of surgery. We could have doctors practice doing a, a difficult procedure on you, like in neurosurgery, brain lab. It's all about trajectory planning. Taking, like before the doctor walks in, the neurosurgeon walks into the operating room, he's already done surgery on your digital twin by basically doing trajectory planning and figuring out how do I get to that tumor without you know, blinding and, and destroy it without blinding the patient. So I think digital twin is a very concrete term, which is exactly what you describe. It's like a virtual, you know, a digital version of a physical person. Um, metaverse is a lot more abstract, and I will leave it to the, I will leave that as an exercise to the audience. And is your dad proud of you now? Uh, he won't admit it, but he loves coming, he's retired now, so he loves coming to the office and driving my employees crazy. A couple of questions, actually. I guess I know you're talking about kind of digital twin, physical scans, but have you have you been using kind of game technology, creative technology for mental health treatment? Oh, mental health, yes. So we're starting to do that. Let's say we're going to say, all right, um, let's do. We said, um, hold on, demos with, okay, answer questions with demos, answer questions with demos. Okay, so we're doing this. We're, we're doing this now. There are companies that are actually using this technology to treat patients to treat patients. Um, we are not doing that. That's a whole realm of digital therapeutics. It's fascinating. You can use games and VR to treat, depre to treat ADHD, depression, a wide range of different conditions. Fascinating stuff. Um, on our end, we're using it to train medical professionals how to, um, how, how to treat it. So whether it's like how to diagnose it, um, how to manage it over time, how to manage you know, side effects of different treatments, how to, you know, how to drive adherence among patients, how to detect the subtle things, bedside manner, like if, how do you ask the right questions in the right order? Because certain doctors, for example, they have good bedside manner and they know how to ask the questions right and interact, respond effectively to the patient, they can get better outcomes in mental health discussions. So we're capturing that using basically dialogue-based game mechanics where you're, you can have a conversation with a virtual patient and we can teach you how to have that discussion. And so we're starting to apply that in mental health, not to treat patients, but to help medical professionals and clinicians treat patients at scale. Uh, this one is a little bit more neurology oriented, but this is, for example, for a drug that treats the side effects of schizophrenia drugs. And so you're talking to a patient that has mental health issues, that is also, that's combined now with physical symptoms. And so, you know, how do we basically train doctors how to do more effective physical exams and have more effective conversations with those patients and then differentiate what they're, the symptoms that they're seeing from, let's say, other look-alike diseases like Parkinsonism? Oh, sorry, you said you had more than one question. Uh, yeah, the other thing was, in terms of the, the, the training piece and you're you know, saying you've got to choose the right test and get the right clinical outcomes, um, have you baked in kind of you know, random variation and kind of sort of critical failures to kind of keep them on their toes a bit? Oh, all the time. We, yeah, so like part of the idea here is like you don't want to play the same game twice. So we're always basically, you know, figuring out how to introduce the right amount of randomness um, in order to create like, in fact, we even have some of, the, some of the projects we've done for different, oh, that one's showing up upside down on the HDMI. But there's one where basically like, uh, we did a, a project with Medtronic, for example, where um, it's for a video laryngoscope. And part of their, the, the understanding they're trying to instill in doctors is, you know, you never know what you're gonna get, right? Like a patient that presents looking normal might have a difficult airway. So you always wanna go to using a video laryngoscope as opposed to the old school standard of care. And so at the beginning of the game, we actually just give you a random patient and you don't know what you're gonna get to help instill that sense of, oh, let's see, I'm not sure yet. So we do that a lot, sometimes, again, like we talked about for specific purposes because it helps, it helps move towards the specific educational objective. Hello, I'm here. I'm curious about your thoughts on the differences between AR and VR and whether or not medical professionals prefer AR over VR or what's their thoughts on them? Oh, I'm not gonna get in this battle. <laughs> we do both. 
Um, look, uh, all right, this might be upside down, but let's just let's let's show an example of why we want to use um, of why we want to use. Uh, let's see if I can get this going here. Oh, you know what? Maybe if I. All right, I'm gonna. This is the last question, right? Okay. Well, this is the last question I'm doing a demo for. That's not on my phone because uh, I'm unplugging and replugging in. All right, let's see. Um, okay, and ta-da! Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, but now it's upside down for me. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Okay. Um, unit three. I've never tried this upside down. This is gonna be really hard. Um, okay. So here is an example. Okay. Well, that's right side up. Okay. So here's an example. Well, where am I going to do this? I'm going to put them on the chair. Okay. So what I'm going to do is place a virtual patient here on the table. Well, it's all backwards. This is really hard to do. All right, I'm going to stop. But basically, okay, so this is a procedure where you need to actually position yourself correctly relative to the patient in order to visualize the vocal cords. And so, yeah, this is all backwards now. Um, so this is a thing where like AR is very useful. Why? Um, because with this one, with AR, what we can do is we can project a virtual patient on the, let's say, on a table to represent what would happen in the operating room. You're intubating a patient. They're unconscious. You've got to get a breathing tube into them. So, great. You know, they're, at a, they're in a clinic. You need to intubate them. They're on a table. Or for an EMT, now I want to simulate an emergency scenario where I walk in. The patient's laying down on the floor. I actually have to lay on my stomach in order to get a view of the vocal cords. So these are examples where having AR is nice. I can just project my virtual patient anywhere. The nice thing about it is you can also do it on a phone, which is convenient. Um, there are cases, though, where VR is helpful. If you really want to immerse them completely in an environment for whatever reason, we see this a lot like kind of in military scenarios where you're trying to say, like, okay, can you deal with this under distraction, for example? They're having VR as a benefit. So, like, I'm, I'm not going to say one way or the other. Um, you know, we'll let them fight it out in the market. Thank you. Be quick because I know we're short on time. So there's so many possible benefits of this technology to help so many people. How do you decide what applications you say yes to and what you say no to? Oh, that's a great question. Um, we leave it up to the doctors for the most part. So basically, yeah, so how do we decide what we're going to do next? A lot of it's obviously driven by industry because they're, they, they fund a lot of the work like NASA or, or, or you know, Medtronic and Philips and Novartis and whatnot. Um, but the... Um, uh, what drives our building the next game actually drives, what drives that is a lot of like, what is the demand from doctors? So we have 120 physician advisors and then hundreds of physician contributors. And so we ask them, like, where's the greatest need? The other thing that also plays in is one of the things we noticed is like, we had 4,000 cardiologists playing our gastroenterology and pulmonology games before we launched in cardiology, which is like, I don't know why a cardiologist is doing a colonoscopy, but apparently they really want to play medical video games. So that was like a good, sort of the, the whole pattern of the company has always been like, the demand comes first, and we sort of then follow the demand, which is a really nice place to be. Um, and so a lot of that has driven it. So basically like the sequence of games came a lot from just seeing which doctors are playing which games. Doctors actually give us, we know sort of what they're practices because they have to give us their, uh, their provider ID in order to earn CME credit. So we actually have a lot of data on you know, where are, what are their preferences, how are they practicing, how are, how are practices different in different parts of the country or the world. So there's just a lot of, we didn't even talk about the data that you get out of this whole ecosystem, but it's fascinating. Cool. Uh, oh, you get, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> we'll do, make this the last one. I'm I want to be nice. Okay. Uh, and there's a, a great work around the world that we, call, we, we structure all these this digital twins. Nowadays, we got the packs that gave us uh, CT uh, scan information, and now you can create by your system, by your patterns that you, you made with your techniques, uh, a, full, uh, a, a real digital yeah, twin. Yeah, digital twin. And with all the, the results of the labs, and other, and other results of exams we can create by the, uh, all the information that we got from guidelines, some kind of uh, situation to join with the digital twin yeah. and create the disease in the digital twin. Okay. Yes. How do you think that with work at your development that we can take now, nowadays, a CT scan of any of us 
and just create this uh, digital twin. Thinking about a chat GPT from information that we take all the information of for the CT scan, pass through your your uh, your your system and just delivery for any of us this kind of digital twin of us the real time. So for that, I'm going to say, like, well, I think what you're describing is a little bit like a panacea, and I think eventually we'll get there. I mean, right now, our focus is a lot more focused, right? So it's like, we'll take that CT so you can ultrasound it. We might modify it a little bit to be like, oh, this is how it's going to be on microgravity. We're not taking in all these other elements because they create complexity. So for us, it's all about educational goals. So I'm going to focus. I want to give you just enough information, maybe a little more, to help you like close that. When you're talking about treating patients, now it gets very interesting. Now it's like, how do we use all this data, plug it into AI and smart systems to now be able to come up with all sorts of conclusions we might not have come to? That's another application of Digital Twin that we're not doing, but it's fascinating. So I'll say that. Thank, so thank you all very much. Thank you for staying over. You're a great audience.